As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back. It's your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes and Sean McIndoe with you as uh, always on a Thursday ahead of the next hour or so. We'll discuss Aaron Dell. And that's a three-game suspension that was handed out. A rare suspension for a goalie in the NHL. We'll also talk about that big Taylor Hall hit on Nate McKinnon from Wednesday night. Uh, We'll touch on the mess in Philadelphia. Ironman streaks are going to be a topic of discussion, too, both with Keith Yandel. And uh, uh, we'll bring that up in this week in hockey history, too. We've got some voicemails to play from our listeners asking about a delicious scenario that might see Marc-Andre Fleury end up in Washington, plus what are some of the best value contracts around the NHL? Jesse Granger's going to pop by, as always, for Granger things. So we got a lot of things to shoehorn in here. Into this hour or so, got to ask you this, Sean, uh, right off the top, because it's rare uh, to get the goalie uh, suspension for something that uh, a netminder did against an opposing skater. In fact, I think I even texted you, I think it was on Tuesday night when this went down, and I'm like, I can't find any precedent for a goalie being suspended. The only thing I could find was Ray Emery on Max mm-hmm. Lapierre in 2007 was like the last time I could find a goalie on skater type of suspension. But um, this was probably it's hard to find precedent for this. And yeah. and I hate I hate debating. Oh, it should have been five games, should have been four games. But I mean, three games for Aaron Dell. I'm glad he got something. Because it, it seemed like it was a, kind of an unnecessary play by the Sabres netminder. Yeah, absolutely. And you're you're right. These are uh, exceedingly rare. I, I think there was, uh, the, you mentioned the Ray Emery one from 2007. I think there was a Jamie McClellan one as well uh, back then. Uh, that Then that one may have been in the playoffs. But beyond that, I mean, it, I was kind of racking my brain when you texted me. I figured there had to have been something 
It doesn't yeah. seem to have been. I, I mean, and it's not only is it very rare for goaltenders to be suspended for uh, something that happens on the ice. I, I'm not sure I can ever remember a suspension quite like this one, where it's a uh, you know basically an, an interference slash uh, body check. Uh, you know, you, you get it sometimes for uh, stick work. That's usually what a goalie gets. Uh, in the rare cases that they get nailed, it's uh, it's often for that. Um, you know, in this case, what what looked like it was developing is just a harmless play, and and to have a goalie kind of drop the shoulder like that, uh, I, I I can't remember seeing it happen too many times. Period, and, and certainly not to the extent that it results in a suspension. You know, I, one of the things we we saw the discourse from this, and again, it was Aaron Dell, Buffalo goalie, who basically interfered with Ottawa forward Drake Batherson. Uh, Batherson's four checking on the play. Dell out of his crease, shoulder checks Batherson. Batherson's unsuspecting, and yeah, uh, it, that that that's what we should point out here. It's not a common play, but and, and I, unsuspecting not because he he wasn't paying attention or he got caught with his head down or he was admiring a pass or anything like that. It's unsuspecting because contact with goaltenders is supposed to be completely forbidden. So I mean, he's if if he's aware of Dell, which, you know, obviously he is, he, all he knows is that he has to avoid him. He absolutely cannot yeah. make contact with him. Uh, so yeah, you're not expecting the guy that you're not allowed to touch to suddenly launch himself into you. Yeah. And so look, I saw the discourse on, on social media or in the comments of my section, uh, comment section in my uh, article in the athletic this week uh, about this incident and people saying, you know what? Maybe goalies should be fair game. You know what? If they're going to do that, well, then as soon as they leave the blue paint, they should be vulnerable. I got a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, I don't think we have an epidemic of goalies leaving the crease and initiating contact. Like if we had five or six yeah. or seven goalies doing this, I think it might be a cause for us to have this conversation. But we're not. I think Aaron Dell is a little bit on an island here. He's an anomaly. So there, there's that. But I also don't think you can – I think it's a slippery slope. I – I just don't think goalies with the the equipment that they wear by the very nature of the position they play, I don't think they should be fair game uh, when they leave the crease. And I think the trapezoid is there. Uh, we've got a lot of areas where I think there's, there's areas where you protect the goalies. I would not like to see uh, any sort of change to this. I understand why people might say it. I don't agree with it. Yeah, and everybody always thinks it's a good idea right up until it happens to their goalie, and then they would be <laughs> right. Can you imagine? absolutely furious. No, it's a, it's a terrible idea. It's you're you're being kind. It's it's uh it's an awful idea. We would never see it. We never should. It has never been the case um, that that there was any sort of free pass on hitting goalies. Which first of all, people seem to imagine that the goalie goes out of his crease and anyone can just run him. I mean, you, you can't hit anyone in the NHL who doesn't have the puck or hasn't just had it. That's interference. That's uh, part of the rule book. So the idea that you know, the goalie gets both skates onto the white ice and suddenly you can just uh, send him flying would be, uh, it wouldn't be how it worked. But even after they, they touch the puck, no, it's, it's a different position. These are key guys to the game. Nobody wants to see people getting hurt. Um, and, uh, no, the, the correct way to deal with this situation, which as we just finished saying is incredibly rare is to make it very, very clear to the goaltenders that you cannot yeah. do what Aaron Dell just did. That is a cheap hit. You are taking advantage of the rules to protect you. Um, and you know, to, to hit him with a suspension, 
is is a, absolutely appropriate, and hopefully it sends the message. But I, it's not, as you said, it's it's not a message that particularly seems to need to be sent because we don't see it very often. Aaron Dell himself has done it before. He had why it was Mark Stone, I think, where he he yep. basically threw the same move. And we should say Aaron Dell after the game basically acknowledged exactly what he did in 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 you know kind of defending himself. He said, "Well, I, you know, I wasn't trying to hurt him. I was just trying to slow him up and you know give my defenseman more room." Well, yeah, you were trying to you were trying to interfere with him. Is is what happened? And um, look in in the NHL, if you throw a hit that is um, that is against the rules and it results in a, uh, a major injury, that's, uh, then you're going to be held to account for that. And it was, uh, it was the right call by the league to suspend him. If they wanted to go higher, uh, I would have been fine with that. Um, but no, we don't need to go and change the rules. And, uh, you know, suddenly we've got playoff series being determined because goalies are getting run. Um, that that would be awful, and and nobody would would want to see that. I know. I, I somewhere there's a Sabres fan saying, "What about speaking of goalies being robbed? Milan Lucic and Ryan Miller? That's like yeah. the all timer." There's. Yeah. I mean, look. There's. There have been. We we get goalie collisions where goalies come out and play the puck, and I mean that's that's kind of a different thing where you know you do have the right to go for the puck as well, uh, and we've seen some some notable cases of that, but. Um, no, I mean, there's, there, there's a handful. I remember back in the eighties, there, there were a handful of times where guys actually did run goalies behind the net or, or places like that. And it, um, you can imagine what it immediately led to. And, uh, that's, that's not how the game's played anymore. And, um, you know, in, 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 we, we certainly, you know, I don't think anyone wants to see the NHL turn into the NFL as far as quarterbacks where certain guys are so protected that there's, uh, you know, virtually nothing that you can do, but um, we're fine where it is now with goaltenders. You, trust me, you you think it would be fun right up until it was your goalie, and then you would lose your mind. There's a lot of Ottawa fans, Sean, that are upset that some sort of vigilante justice wasn't uh, uh, seen through by the Ottawa players, that nobody on Ottawa ran Aaron Dell, or at the very least, there's some Ottawa fans saying, okay, we get it. You can't you can't just go and run a goal. DJ Smith even told us after the game on Tuesday, hey, this isn't 20 years ago. You can't go running around and dead. If, you, if we ran over the goalie on purpose, now we're probably looking at a bitter, bigger suspension because they're going to look like it's premeditated. Uh, you know, but but people are saying, you know what? Somebody should have just grabbed like, you know, Jeff Skinner or Tage Thompson or somebody from Buffalo and said, you know what? You can't do that to our all-star forward. You just, you can't do that. And I just want to know where you come down on that as we talk about the modern NHL. Like, should there have been a message, a stronger message sent uh, by Ottawa? Because clearly, I mean, look, Brady Kachuk came to the podium Tuesday night and said, hey, it it was a bullshit play. Like, it wasn't like they were hiding their emotions. Like, Mm -hmm. they they were dripping with anger. Should some of that anger have come out on the ice? They were clearly ticked off during the game, too. And, you know, there were some some words. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's... 20 years ago, we know how this would have been handled, um, but it's not 20 years ago. And, um, uh, you know, look, I, I'm, there is still a big part of me that's, that's kind of old school when it comes to this stuff, but I've, I've made this point before. If you want to talk about sending a message or, you know, whatever it is, all I'm asking is be honest about what you're asking for. Like, what do you want the senators to have done? Don't say send a message. I mean, said that that's a meaningless phrase. What do you want them to do? Do you want them to run 
Arendelle, then then you can say that. Do you want them to, you know, grab Jeff Skinner or whoever? Okay, well, what do you want to do once you've grabbed him? Grabbing him isn't going to send a message. What are we talking about? And usually what it comes down to is what people are saying is, I want somebody to go out there and try to hurt someone. And if that's how you feel, go ahead and say it. Um, but you have to say it. Don't hide behind, you know, little little metaphors and, and that sort of thing about messages or uh, that kind of thing. And and look, we've it, it, that's been part of hockey for a long time. A lot of the guys that I cheered for growing up, my very favorite players, uh, they sometimes went out and they had to hurt guys because that was the job. That's what Bob Probert was there to do. Uh, that's what uh, a lot of guys like that were there for. We've seen it happen in the NHL, you know, where teams have responded. I think back a few years with uh, with Sean Thornton, a guy that, you know, had been in the league a long time. And there was, uh, you know, a situation between the, the Penguins and the Bruins. And it was, you know, people were waiting to see, is there going to be, is someone going to send a message? Is someone going to send a message? It was Brooks Orpik and Sean Thornton sent a message. And he sent the message by throwing a few punches and he ended up hurting Brooks Orpik and everybody lost their minds. And everybody said, you can't do that. And there was a long suspension and they dragged him out in front of the cameras and he had to, you know, make uh, you know, tearful face and, and, and apologize and all of that. And I was sitting there thinking, what was he supposed to do? Everyone who wanted him to send a message, everyone who wanted him to do something, what was he supposed to do? What do you do when some, because I mean, Jeff Skinner or whoever on the Sabres isn't going to drop the gloves and say, okay, I'll fight you because my goalie did something stupid. Um, so what do you do when they skate away and say, no, I'm not, I'm not engaging with this. What do you want them to do? And, you know, if, if you're, if you're as a Sens fan or whoever, and you're willing to say, yeah, you know what? I want them to go up and sucker punch Jeff Skinner. And that's the message that's going to get sent. Then, okay, say that don't hide behind, you know, cutesy little sayings. And, uh, because that's what we're talking about. And we've seen it go bad. And as soon as it goes bad, everybody turns their back on, uh, on the guy who did it, even though they were probably the ones uh, cheering it on right before it happened. You know, and, and I wonder too, like it, it was a three game suspension for, for Aaron Dell. I wonder when it comes to goalie suspensions, if there should be a little bit more of a formula put in. And, and I know, look, Aaron Dell is basically the backup here, but maybe he was only going to play once in the next three games anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if they should work in a formula, look at a goalie, how many games he's played, out of the team's last, you know, eight or 10 or whatever, and then figure it out from there and say, you know what, technically, eh, we should probably levy a seven-game suspension on this guy because that, in the seven-game window, that's when he would have played three times. Do you, yep. you catch what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, sort, like, sort of like what they do in baseball with with starting pitchers, right? Where, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the batter might get two or three games, but the pitcher's going to get five because that's how they'll make yeah. sure that he... Um, you know, there's something to that. I, I again, this happens so rarely that it's, uh, you know, I, I I'm not even sure that we need a policy or something in place because it's it's so unheard of for goalies to get suspended. I guess the counter argument would be that whether he plays or not, Arundel is still losing the the salary um, from yeah. from those games that he's that he's suspended for. So, um, you know, if you if you bump that up even higher, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen a few people suggest that. The appropriate suspension would be, or the appropriate punishment would be, that Aaron Dell has to play every game for this Buffalo yeah. Sabres team, and uh, uh, and uh, and every minute, no matter what happens, that that might be worse. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how you handle this. I, that you got to go back a long ways to get to the 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 point where uh, any goaltenders were were causing problems like this. So I'm yeah. I'm really not sure what you do. 
Yeah, and, and the one goalie you think of, obviously, is Ron Hextall, because Hextall yeah. was a guy who was suspended multiple times. Uh, the, the one that I think of all the time, uh, like, is there anything else as we think about kind of goalie-on-skater crime in NHL history? Is there anything worse than Ron Hextall at the end of the 89 playoffs, leaving his crease, charging out of his crease to attack Chris Chelios of the Montreal Canadiens in retribution for what Chelios did earlier in the series with a high hit on Brian Propp. But mm -hmm. Hextall leaves, charges out, takes down Chelios, and gets a 12-game suspension to start the next season. I know we talk, I know there's a lot of people saying I what Aaron Dell did to Drake Bathersons is about as bad as I've ever seen a goalie uh, due to a skater. There's nothing in the stratosphere of Hextall on Chelios, is there? Well, I mean, that one was was certainly a bad one. I I, I don't think he did a ton of damage to Chelios just because everyone else jumped in immediately. But uh, the strange thing about that is you go back and watch it, that game was still up in the air. That was game six of a playoff series uh, that the Flyers were trailing uh, three games to two. And uh, that game was not finished. <laughs> and he, he still chose that moment to do it. So it was, that was bizarre. Um, the other guy that has to be in the conversation though is, uh, and, and it goes back a few years earlier, but Billy Smith. Uh, was the other guy who had a real reputation yeah. for uh, uh, going after guys and, and stick work, especially. I mean, he he butt ended Lindy Ruff in the eye uh, in back in I, I want to say 1980 and and did you know some serious damage. And there were other players. In fact, the reason that uh, that that goalies have to tape the butt end of their uh, stick that rule was put in place because of Billy Smith was was so adept at catching guys on the way by. You know, it was it wasn't the Arundel drop the shoulder, he would just accidentally get his the butt end of his stick out there and, and clip a guy. And, uh, you know, he certainly had some run-ins with the Oilers where he was slashing at guys. And uh, um, so he'd, he'd be the other one. Um, but we haven't seen it since. Even even goalies that since then have had reputations. Uh, you know, Patrick Waugh was, was certainly a hothead, but he went after other goalies. And, uh, you know, even Ray Emery, we remember him fighting Andrew Peters, but he didn't... Uh, um, you know, he, he wasn't out there during the, the run of play looking for uh, uh, looking for skaters. It's it's very, very rare to see something like this. Yeah. Uh, speaking of big hits and collisions and controversy this week in hockey, uh, one of the best players in the game, Nate McKinnon, uh, had an incident on Wednesday night. Sean Taylor Hall uh, kind of caught him as he was going over the blue line. And you know what happens every time there's a hit involving star player, we break it down frame by frame and we start to think mm -hmm. about was this illegal and what did, you know, was there, you know, and, and basically it was one of those situations where I think initially it was a five minute penalty, right? And a major, and then it was yep. uh, rescinded to a minor because I think the rule basically is if an, if a major penalty is called on the ice, the officials review it. It can't be wiped out entirely. Yep. It can be just Which taken is ridiculous. down. It's, it's, yeah. it's so, absolutely to, ridiculous. But. And I wanted to ask you about this because like, I understand, I understand the, the rule there, but you're telling me that if you look at something again on replay and it's not egregious and it's not a foul, like why is it a minor penalty then? Yeah. And, like, and I don't know. And, uh, you know, there's a, a, uh, an example of this that uh, that ended up being famous for a very different reason, but uh, a few years ago when uh, the Leafs were playing the Hurricanes and Kyle Clifford collided oh, yeah. with the goaltender and got five yep. minutes, and then you looked at the replay and you realized there was absolutely nothing he could have done. He was, yep. you know, he was being pushed from behind. The goalie initiates the contact. Uh, that ends up being the the 
the goaltender injury that leads to the David Ayers uh, uh, situation, the Zamboni driver game. So, but then they review it and they still have to give him two minutes and the Hurricanes score on the next power play to, uh, you know, what ends up being the winning goal in that game. It's a ridiculous rule. The only thing I can think of is that I don't, uh, this, I don't know if this was something from the referees where they want to say, Hey, look, if we've called a penalty, we don't want coaches yelling at us to take it completely off the board. We, you know, or, or if it was the league saying, if you're going to put your arm up, there has to be a penalty. We don't want you guys calling five minutes and then realizing, Oh no, we, you know, it's, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. So no, they should absolutely be able, if you're going to have penalty review, which I'm on the record as, as not being in favor of, but if you're going to do it, then actually do it and let them, let them take it off the board. Because in this case, I'll be honest, when I first saw it in real time, I thought that's absolutely a five minute major. That's a suspension. It looked like the classic, case where a guy cuts across and picks the head and you know maybe you're you're or maybe you're trying to get the body but you miss and and you clip the head and it leads to an injury and and you know I'm I'm looking at that thinking that's textbook but then you see a few replays and you th- start thinking well you know maybe did he clip him in the head was it the shoulder and it starts looking a little weird and you're going hey it looks like he hits him in the shoulder so why does the head snap back and then there's the one replay you see where what actually happens is McKinnon in just the way he's carrying his stick the stick kind of gets up and it's the stick really that gets hit by Hall and knocked into Nathan McKinnon's face and that's what causes the cut uh, because there was a fair amount of blood that's what causes the head to snap back and at that point you start realizing that you know to my eyes at this point this was actually a clean hit that just had a really bad result based on the fluke of the, of the stick being in the wrong place. Yeah. And McKinnon's own stick too. And, and, and yeah, I think exactly w- what I was thinking last night, you know, Taylor Hall's won a heart trophy. Nate McKinnon might win a heart trophy at some point in his career. And certainly he's been a, um, a finalist and a candidate for that award. And I was thinking, boy, like what's the biggest hit or the biggest collision in the history of the NHL, Sean, that involved, Two offensive stars, because obviously when mm-hmm. you think of, well, uh, Hall of Famers, you think of Stevens and, and Korea, yeah. and yep. uh, but that was a defensive defenseman taking out uh, an offensively gifted player. So when we just use the parameters of offensive star players, star forwards hitting each other, because again, now I'm thinking, okay, Pavel Burry and Shane Trilla. No, one guy yep. wasn't, uh, mm-hmm. one guy wasn't uh, an offensive guy. So what do we got here? Like, is there any collision you can think of big head involving two mega stars that were both offensively minded who were involved in a big hit or a collision at some I, point. I, I got one for you. And okay. it's, uh, it's, it's two guys who were uh, two, two hall of famers. Uh, one of whom was, was known for being a physical player. The other one wasn't. And you're going to, as soon as I say it, you're going to know exactly what I'm referring to because it's, it's, it's very well remembered, but not for the hit itself. Mark Messier on Mike Medano. Oh, the, where he catches so, him. Oh, yeah, so it, that's how he said. That's how he ended up on the stretcher. That's how Mike Medano ends up on the stretcher. We all have <laughs> seen the clip, and if you haven't, then you you gotta you gotta get to YouTube right away because it's it's one of these things. We it's one of these stories where we have to we have to start at the ending, which was Mike Medano was fi- was fine. It was everything was okay, so we can we can look back on it and laugh. But yeah, Mike uh, Mark Messier hits Mike Medano coming across. It's actually exactly the same sort of hit that we were just talking about, where he kind of picks the head on a blindside player. The sort of hit that would be a 20-game suspension today. But back then, that kind of hit was was allowed. That was considered, you know, it was 
on you to keep your head up and all, all of that stuff. And he hits Medano and, and basically knocks him out on impact. Medano goes down, hits his head on the ice, uh, starts bleeding from the back of his head. He's, he's spinning on the ice. So there's like this little spiral of blood. It's this, uh, really scary looking situation. Um, and then they pick him up and they load him onto the stretcher and we've probably all seen the clip. They take him to the ambulance and as they're loading him into the ambulance, they drop the stretcher. And this happens on live television, by the way. This is, you know, th- this was back in the day where guys were taken <laughs> off on stretchers. They just sent a cameraman into the hallway to to follow them. And it's like, li- so you get the announcers reacting to to what they've just seen as they drop Mike Medano off the stretcher as they're trying <laughs> to load him in. It's it's one of, it's it's awful and also completely hilarious in in hindsight knowing that that everything turned out okay but yeah the, the thing people forget that was that was mark messier and the amazing thing is because i remember i i i wrote a piece once where i i went back and i looked at hits that uh from the past that weren't suspensions and tried to figure out what would they be today and that was one of them and i found there were comments from bob gainey who was mike medano's gm basically saying yeah, clean hit. You know, uh, Mike's got to keep his head up. Mike's got to, you know, be aware of that. There's nothing yeah. wrong. We had no, like nobody had any issue with the hit back then. And if you go back and watch it now, I mean, it, it would be easy double digit suspension. No, no questions asked if it happened today. A guy asked you about uh, uh, Keith Yandel. And we got to talk about the Philadelphia Flyers here for a second, because uh, Yandel breaking the Ironman streak, Doug Jarvis's streak, a, a rare bright moment for the Philadelphia Flyers in an otherwise forgettable season. Uh, Yandel, uh, you know, is now at nine, uh, nine sixty-five. He passes Doug Jarvis this week. Does Keith Yandel get to a thousand straight games played? And, and the reason why I asked that is remember there was, you know, at, at one point during the streak, there was a thought he could be a healthy scratch. You know, now that he's sort of passed that threshold, you know, do we see him? healthy scratch at some point and yeah. or do you think he gets to a thousand games yeah remember i mean there was it was the panthers right opening yeah. night uh, last year where they they, they had pre if i remember they had pretty much denounced it they said he's not going to play and uh, and then there was uh, a little bit of an outcry and i think somebody got hurt and so he, he ended up playing and and obviously played ever since um i i mean look keith yandel's had a great career um he, he's not an especially effective player anymore I, I think it's fair to say it's certainly not to the the degree that he was um at his peak and that's uh I mean that's how it goes you you got a guy who's 35 years old uh and you know a lot of a lot of wear on those tires um that's what we should expect um that said last time I checked things aren't going super great in Philadelphia so uh, it may be the sort of thing where, and they've got, you know, they've already had a couple of guys at uh, Ryan Ellis and, and Sean Couturier where they said, we're just going to shut them down. Uh, they're going to get surgery. They're going to be, uh, they're going to be done. Uh, so I, I mean, I think they're going to, as they go down the stretch, it's pretty clear that they've run up the white flag. I think they're going to uh, um, uh, need, need some bodies to play, but why not let Keith Yandel get to a thousand? You know, the only scenario i can think of where he's a healthy scratch on this team is if somebody decides they want to send a message you know you want to send them that nothing nothing is given everything's earned blah 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 but i i mean keith yandel isn't isn't what he once was but i'm not convinced the flyers have got six better defensemen the the rest of the way down this road so um why not why not let them be the first to to get to that number well let me ask you too about phil kessel who's right in there like if at some point yandel 
is a healthy scratch who doesn't play. Uh, Phil Kessel's on his tail. Like Phil Kessel is 24 yep. games behind on this uh, Ironman uh, streak. And I got to ask you a little bit about Kessel because he's the classic Hall of Fame bubble candidate. And he, look, he's closing in on 400 goals. He's closing in on 1,000 points. I ask you this, Sean. If Phil Kessel can become the all-time Ironman uh, streak holder and gets to north of 1,000 games played in a row, does that impact his Hall of Fame chances? And, and, and like, does that improve his odds of getting into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I think it helps a little bit. It's it's certainly, I mean, this is not a streak that is, you know, as revered in hockey as it is in, in baseball, where it was Ripken chasing Lou Gehrig. I mean, the fact that Doug Jarvis, who was a very good player, is not in the Hall of Fame, didn't didn't presumably get anywhere near it, kind of tells you that this, is, this isn't on its own going to be enough to tip you over. But maybe, maybe if it ends up being a close vote. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think Phil Kessel... I don't like his odds, if only because his his reputation and and deservedly so was as a purely offensive guy, and I don't think he's going to get to the overall numbers that that he would need uh, to to have people overlook that. Not to mention the fact that for whatever reason he just doesn't seem to be a guy that's super well liked in a lot of circles, and that you know when you're talking about a small committee meeting in private, maybe that uh, works against you. But I will say this, I. I am all in on Phil Kessel as the NHL's all-time Ironman. I would love to see that. How great would it be? A guy whose whole reputation is, right, he's the fat guy who eats hot dogs. He's out of shape. He doesn't skate during the summer. He just plays yeah. golf. He just He's winded on the bench. Every time you see him, he looks like me after I've gone for a jog. Like, he's just, you know, uh, head bowed and... Um, you know, the pudgy everyman, we all love finding our funny pictures of Phil Kessel and you send them to your friends. What does this guy do for a living? And nobody ever says pro athlete for that guy to be the all time Iron Man would just be absolutely fantastic. I would love to see that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Phil Kessel fan. Um, I'm, I've, I've decided to, you know, long ago that I'm, I'm on this guy's bandwagon. How great would that be? If the guy that we all mocked uh, you know, as the everyman, uh, non-athlete guy, he's the one in this brutal, uh, you know, vicious sport. He's the one guy who can who can get to the mountain that no one else could. I would love that. All right, listen, I've mentioned here that Yandel, Keith Yandel, Sean has been like a bright light in an otherwise dark season for the Flyers. They've had multiple ten-game uh, winless skids. It's been it's been. A tough go in Philadelphia. I thought it was interesting, though, that their chairman of the board said this week that GM Chuck Fletcher is going to have a blank check to fix Philadelphia's problems. And I, I don't know where you begin. I guess you begin with Claude Giroux, but I mean, how painful might this short term be in, in Philadelphia? Well, this is the thing. I didn't understand that comment um, because. It's it's all well and good to say you've got a blank check. This is a league with a hard salary cap. Like this isn't a major league baseball team being told like you've got a blank check. This isn't even the NBA where you can say okay, you can go into the into the ta- uh, tax territory or whatever. It, it, there's a hard cap. So you can give him a blank check. He can't use that blank check. Um obviously there are things that that all organizations can do as far as coaching and scouting and whatever that uh, where you could spend more. But as far as fixing the roster, the blank check doesn't help. What I would want to know is, okay, 
forget about a blank check. Does he have your permission to attack this in whatever way he wants and at whatever timeline he feels is appropriate? Because later in that same press availability, the, the, the same guy was making comments along the lines of, you know, we don't think we need to tear it down. We think we can be back in the mix soon. You know, we think next year, the year after we'll be back in the playoffs. If that's what you're saying, that's what dictates the whole strategy in Philadelphia. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have a vote of confidence for your GM, but what happens if Chuck Fletcher goes in and says, okay, forget about my blank check. What I need is I need to be able to trade these six guys for whatever I can get. We're going to strip it down. We might finish last next year. That's okay. It's the Connor Bedard draft. Let's, let's go and try to grab this guy. Um, and, uh, it's, it's going to be a few years before you're going to have any playoff revenue coming in. Is that okay? Is that part of my blank check? Because if you're going to tell him, no, 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 we expect to be back at the playoffs, then, you know, your, your blank check is no good to him because he's, this team's capped out like most teams in the league already are. So there was a Disney movie back when we were kids. Wasn't it called blank check? Wasn't there? There, there probably was. Right? Yeah. Like in the nineties, yeah. was there not a. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So anyway, just playing off, and now people will yeah. be jumping into our uh, mentions here about the movie. People who people who listen to my other podcasts know how I do on the pop culture. Yeah, uh, side yeah, of I, so I'm this sure is, there was a Disney movie course. blank. Check. Anyway, right. we're gonna play off that for a second. I'm gonna give you Sean a blank check. If you could, if you had a blank check, and you're like, you know what, with with a blank check, I could solve this team's problems asap. Where are you going to Edmonton? Like, where would you go with a blank check? that you think you could make a difference ASAP in the NHL. Yeah, well when you when you originally sent me this question my like I was going to be a the a smart aleck and say, "Well, yeah, Tampa Bay. Yeah, I'll go fix them. Uh, that's uh, that's easy and I'll take the rest of the check and, you know, or or some other team that's that's really doing well." I don't know. Of the of the teams that are struggling, man, uh you know, there there are some of them where you look and you say, "Okay, like, you know what? Uh you know, Detroit for example, not going to make the playoffs, bad team, but they've got the pieces in place. They've got a plan. I, you know, to parachute in there on a team like that would would be okay. Chicago would be an interesting one because I still feel like eventually if you decide to move some of those veteran guys, there's there's the possibility to turn that around reasonably well. Um, Seattle, you've still got lots of fan goodwill to get into and a lot of cap space. Ron Francis keeps telling us how much cap space he has. Let's let's see him actually use it. So, you know, the, those ones would be good, too. And then the ones that I want no part of, um, Arizona, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, I think Montreal has got a real deep hole to dig out of. Um, and, uh, I mean, Edmonton, I don't think Edmonton's hole is all that deep, but I don't think I'd want any part of that because... Um, Yikes! That that just it, it just always seems to go in the same direction there, and I don't know. I want to be the next one with my head on the chopping block. Okay, I did look up the movie, the nineteen ninety four movie Blank Check, okay. produced by Disney. The film follows a boy who inherits a blank check and uses it to buy a house under an alter ego, but is soon being searched for by several members of the bank he cashed it under. Uh-oh. Sounds like a two hour. Thrill a thrill a minute ride. This sounds like somebody saw Home Alone and said, "Make make me a Home Alone copy." Yeah. What if we? So yeah. So yeah. Congratulations to Chuck Fletcher, who's apparently going to be handed this DVD to watch yeah. over the weekend. I don't even uh, think these, was there DVDs. Well, that's what I, meant. I think this might be a. V, I think Chuck Fletcher's getting a you know VHS. What? Dude, this was this was back in my video store days. So yeah, I'm going to assume you're right. This is yeah. uh, 
You, you got to you gotta get the VCR. 100%. The, the premise of this movie is basically, what if Kevin McAllister had a blank check? Just. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean, as always, it's a Thursday, which means time for a little Granger things with our friend Jesse Granger, brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive a betting partner with us at the Athletic and Jesse. Before we talk a little bit about some some schedules for teams down the stretch and kind of strength of schedules, uh, you know, a, a, a interesting piece of news dropped earlier today. Because you live in that kind of part of the United States, uh, I mean, Vegas and, and Arizona aren't necessarily next door to each other, but you know, somewhat. Uh, you know, in the in the proximity. Look, you're close. Yeah, we're we're doing that thing that people do, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Ottawa and Toronto, right? That's half an hour away." We can- Pretty close. I drive down there. It's about four. Yeah, hours on your drive. lunch break. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. So interesting uh, bit of news uh, that was broken by our colleague uh, reporter Craig Morgan does a great job, by the way, covering uh, the Arizona Coyotes, and is often uh, first in, on a lot of those stories. And um, Craig had the story on on Thursday morning that shocked a lot of people. We'll just pass this on to our listeners if you haven't heard this, that the Arizona Coyotes are in advanced discussions with the uni- like Arizona State University, that that's where they would play their games because obviously the situation in Glendale is up in the air. I want to get a thought from both of you about an, the optics of an NHL team going to an NCAA facility that holds about one-third the amount of people that you would expect to be at an NHL game. What do you guys see this happening? Could the Arizona Coyotes play at Arizona State University in front of 5,000 fans? Yeah, I mean, I've so I've been on the side of keeping the Coyotes in Arizona just because, like you said, I'm kind of from the desert. I, I think hockey is in a better place when hockey's doing well in this part of the country. It's getting harder and harder to defend. Um, them proposing to play in a 5,000-seat arena is pretty crazy to me. The fact that that would even be discussed as an option is crazy and kind of shows you where they're at. Um, and I think that it's very concerning that there isn't, in, in a city as big as Phoenix, in an, in an area as big as that metropolitan area, they can't find a facility that's bigger than that that would, that would accept them to play. So I think it's a sign of... They are really, really struggling to stay there. And like I said, I've been kind of a proponent of keeping them in that area, but it's getting harder to defend. What about you, Sean? Yeah, and I think it's also a sign that uh, that there has clearly been a belief all along, even as things got bad uh, with, uh, you know, as, as far as uh, the the bills and the you know, delinquent bills and everything on, on their current home, that 
there have been a lot of people who figured that would all work itself out, that the, the city was bluffing, that, uh, you know, th- this was just negotiations and leverage. And I, I, that's been a question this whole time is if that doesn't work out, if, if they do get kicked out of their current arena, that's the only arena right now in the area that is large enough to, to host what we would consider, uh, you know, an NHL team with an NHL crowd. And look, Arizona, they're averaging 11,000 which is not great this year, but it's certainly not 5,000. So we, we can all save our jokes about, uh, you know, trying to fill fill a 5,000-seat arena. Um, we've all been wondering, what's plan B? And it, the reporting, especially by Craig, who's done a great job on this, has been it's either you got to go to a bigger, like a ballpark or something, which we have seen NHL teams do in the past, or you got to go to one of these smaller rinks. And um, it would be temporary. The idea here would be that you're going to build a new arena, but new arenas don't just appear. It takes a few years. And so you, you just kind of bite the bullet and and play in a substandard uh, uh, arena for a few years. And uh, and then you open your big, shiny new arena. Not not that different. Ian, you, you know, you and I remember in Ottawa when the Senators first arrived, um, going to that, you know, that yeah. terrible rink jammed up against the football stadium where half the there, there was only seats on on half of it, uh, and you know, you're in there going, man, this is an NHL rink. Well, it's not, but within a few years, they get their their new arena, and everybody kind of forgets about it. That would be the thinking here. But man, I mean, that was 1995. This is uh, you know 2020s. We do not expect this from big league sports teams. And if it goes this way, and again, there will be people who say this is all just more elaborate bluffing before they, they get a deal done at their current home. Um, if it goes this way, it's going to be a bad look for, for the league and for this team. All, right. I, all I want is if they move into the home of the Arizona Diamondbacks, they got to keep the hot tub, right? They got to keep the hot tub <laughs> yeah. as part of the, right. uh, the backdrop. For a team that struggles financially the way they have, like you mentioned all the backed up bills and a team that's like struggling to stay there, if they're going to go from selling 11,000 tickets a night to 5,000 tickets a night for however, it says three to four years in Craig's piece, that seems, again, like like this team that's already hurting financially is going to be hurting even more by the time this temporary thing would be done. I don't know. It just seems very odd. Yep. I mean, the, the revenue share is going to kick in big time. Right. And wherever else you are, some, yeah. some, of your, uh, some of that money you spend on tickets and popcorn and all the rest of it is... Uh, going to be going to Arizona to subsidize this, which of course will lead to another round of what the hell are we doing? And and the question for me is always: Look, the the fans up here, and especially up here in Canada, you know, we're we're all high and mighty about any other market. You know, we want every team moved to Quebec City as soon as they they don't sell out a game. It's going to be the players. It's going to be what happens someday when the players say, "Hey, we're supposed to be partners. We're supposed to be 50-50, So why don't we get a say in the fact that? one of our 32 franchises is being such a drain on league revenues because that's coming out of our escrow. We're mm-hmm. financing this too. And, uh, you know, do they push back hard on that? At which point, you know, we, we get to see just how much of a partner the league really considers them. Uh, and let's go to Brad Marchand's Twitter feed to find out his thoughts. You're the reason why we pay <laughs> yeah. escrow. Uh, yeah, it, it's a great point though, because at some point the league, uh, the players will say, as much as the players, I think really... Anybody who's played in Arizona will tell you they actually like it there. Like, it's a great market. Mm -hmm. They love raising their kids there. Like, all that stuff is great. But you're right. Like, at some point, they will say, if we can't monetize this thing 25 years into it, like, what are we doing here? 
yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. Maybe at some point the players will will speak up. Hey, uh, you know, Jesse, every week when we get you on, we love to kind of pick your brain on some trends and uh, um, uh, things of that nature. And I know that this week Dom uh, put out his kind of latest Stanley Cup playoff odds and projected standings and kind of. The way Dom does it, I think they run. He runs about fifty thousand simulations. Like it's a fifty thousand <laughs> yeah. simulated season, and it's uh, it's wonderful what he does. And part of it is strength of schedule, right? Like you, you now, and especially now that we kind of moved the schedule around to accommodate for some of those uh, postponed games, you're kind of now looking at this from a from a, a betting standpoint, saying, okay, well, there's a handful of teams that maybe we should look at them through a different lens based on strength of schedule, the way that their schedule plays out. So why don't we start with a couple of these teams? I think you might even start with the team that I cover on a regular basis, the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, just just to kind of give people an idea of what we're looking at here. Um, I'm basically comparing the strength of schedule in the first half versus the second half, and I tried to find some teams that had the biggest differences, whether it's getting a lot easier or getting a lot harder. And the Senators is an example of it getting a lot easier. I think we expected this team to be better than they were or than they have been. Um, not that they were expected to be like a playoff contender, but the Senators have been worse. And, and I think their schedules had something to do with that. They've had the eighth hardest schedule in hockey with an average points percentage of 0.509. Anything over 0.5 is going to be one of the harder schedules. And here in the second half, they're going to have the fourth easiest schedule in all of the NHL with 0.487. So I think you can expect more out of the Senators. Not that that's going to help you much gambling-wise. I think maybe you can look to bet them on certain nights, but in terms of future winning the division, making the playoffs, that's probably off the table for the Senators. But I do have some teams that I think it a little it, it, it does impact some betting, um, starting with the Los Angeles Kings, who are already having one of the most surprising seasons in hockey. I mean, they're right there in the playoff chase. They're in a good spot, in my opinion, to make the playoffs in the Pacific Division. And they've done all of this with injuries, to Drew Doughty and some other key players, and they've done it with the second hardest schedule in the NHL, um, .517. There's only one team in the league that has played more difficult competition than the LA Kings through the first half of this season, and now they're going to play the fifth easiest schedule in all of hockey. So a Kings team that is rounding into form, Anze Kopitar, Drew Doughty are having big seasons again for them. I think the two additions of Victor Arvidsson and Philip Deneau have been phenomenal. Um, I was kind of questioning that contract they gave Deneau, especially without putting up many goals, but he's been phenomenal for that team. Um, Arthur Kaliev has been really, really good. I think a lot of people are expecting Edmonton and, and uh, Calgary to kind of be the teams behind Vegas in that division. But I think a lot of people are overlooking the Kings. Um, like I said, second hardest schedule to the fifth easiest. They have, been playing very well against that tough schedule. Things should get easier for them in the second half. Yeah, you know, Jesse, along those lines, look, another, like Detroit would be a team that, uh, you know, I think it, for, I, I think Detroit's been kind of punching above their weight a little bit. And I, I know that the eight teams in the Eastern Conference seem to be set, but hey, Detroit's been better than we thought. How does the Red Wings schedule look here in the in the back half? Yeah, right. Like you mentioned, in the East, there's a clear separation between those top eight teams. Um, Detroit is that next team, though. I mean, they're still quite a few points behind Boston and Washington for that playoff for that wild card spot but they are the the first team out of the playoffs in the east but they've done that playing the easiest schedule in the entire 
NHL, their their opponents have averaged 0.488 points percentage this season, which is insanely low. So the Red Wings have had a ridiculously easy schedule, and they've taken advantage of that. Some of their young guys, Lucas Raymond, Moritz Sider, they've looked really good. But like you said, punching a little bit above their weight, they go from that to it's. I couldn't even believe that this is actually true, but they go from the easiest to the absolute hardest in the entire NHL for the second half. They're Second half opponents are have an average points percentage of 0.529, which is very, very high. They The Red Wings, like I said, they look like they're battling for a playoff spot. I think they'll probably finish closer to the bottom of the league than that playoff spot that they're kind of reaching for right now. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, we uh, we opened up talking about, uh, well, in this part of the conversation, the team that I cover, the Ottawa Senators, why don't we wrap it up with the team that you cover, the Vegas Golden Knights? What is What is the second half of the season hold for them and... Will it impact their chances in terms of strength of schedule? Like how confident should people be that Vegas will will close things out and win the Pacific Division? Yeah, and I think this one probably has the biggest ramifications in terms of betting, in terms of futures, if you're betting Stanley Cup, just because the Golden Knights are one of those teams. And right now, the Golden Knights, I think last time I checked, they have the 12th best record in the league. So they're a lot closer to the middle of the pack in terms of just record than they are the top, which is where they'd expect to be. But I think that's a little misleading. They've played the sixth hardest schedule in hockey, and they've had the most injuries of any team. Um, I like using NHL Injury Viz, I think is the site. They they quantify injuries by the amount of cap space you're missing. And the Golden Knights have almost double the next team, the next worst team in terms of how much cap space they've lost to injury this season. Um, obviously, Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, William Carlson, um, Jack Eichel, who's been sitting there, who was injured before he even joined the team. But this team goes from having the sixth hardest schedule to the sixth easiest schedule. Um, and not only that, like, so so in Dom's piece, he mentioned, yeah, they're going from the sixth hardest to the sixth easiest. But the problem is they've played seven more games at home than on the road, which would make you think, okay, well, maybe that kind of cancels things out. But strangely enough, this Golden Knights team has been much better away from T-Mobile Arena than they have at T-Mobile Arena, which is not that been is the case. so weird. Right. That's, for the last four years, they've had one of the best home ice advantages in all of hockey. We have but, we have cured the Vegas flu. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the Golden Knights have the Vegas flu at this point. Maybe, that could be it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they've been 13, 10 and two at home, just barely above 500. Um, whereas I think they have the second or third best road record in, in the NHL 12, five and one on the road. And they've gained points in like eight straight on the road. Um, they're on a pretty big road trip right now, playing Florida and Tampa Bay in these next two games. But yeah, the Golden Knights are a team that is going to get a much easier schedule in the second half. They're going to be playing more on the road, which is where they've played better. And they're getting Max Pacioretty, Jack Eichel, Alec Martinez, Nick Haig, Mark Stone, fully healthy. A lot of really, really good players that haven't played a lot in that first half. So a team that... You might want to look to bet in futures and maybe just on a nightly basis. I saw the Golden Knights are plus 200, I think, tonight in or close to that in Florida, which is the biggest underdog they've been since the like first 10 games in franchise history. And remember, way back then, that was when we thought they were going to suck. So so it's been a long time since the Golden Knights have been underdogs like this. And, and understandably so. They're still missing a lot of those pieces in Florida's playing really well at home. But I think the Golden Knights are being undervalued right now in the, in the market, which is something that doesn't happen very often. I come on here and talk to you guys all the time about how Vegas is kind of overvalued because they're the home team they get bet on. I think this is a rare circumstance where um, there may actually be some value to bet on the Golden Knights. Awesome stuff. Jesse, we'll leave it there. Always uh, love having you uh, drop by for the weekly visits. Have a great week, and uh, we'll get you again next Thursday. Yeah, always fun. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Thanks, Jesse. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right. As always, great to have Jesse Granger dropping by for Granger Things. And uh, you know what? What's also great is when we hear from you in this kind of our, our mailbag feature. And we always say, as much as we love your emails to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, we really appreciate when you leave us a voicemail. And we got a couple of voicemails to play for our listeners today and answer a couple of questions. Uh, you can get us on voicemail at 845 445 59. So 845 445 8459. If you ever want to just call us and drop us a question, we, we love this feature. We're going to start with Billy from Baltimore. And I'm assuming because he's from the Beltway, probably a Caps fan. Have a listen to this uh, idea that I know it's been floated around, but here's Billy from Baltimore with a question for us. I'd love you guys to talk about the possibility of Mark Andre Fleury being traded to the Capitals. The Caps are in win-now mode, and it just seems like goaltending is the only thing holding them back. I'd love to see the flower in a Caps uniform, considering his long history with the Pens, as well as his history with the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, how delicious it would be to see him facing uh, his former teams en route to a Stanley Cup. I don't know who the Caps would have to give up, and I would just love to hear your thoughts on the subject. By the way, I, I got to say, I love the little dinging sound that uh, that we have, the little chime before we play yeah. these voicemails. I don't know why. I love that. It's very soothing. Yeah. Uh, so, Billy from Baltimore is saying, what if the flower ends up in Washington? And, you know, I'm sure if you're a Penguins fan, you're going to have some feelings about that. Uh, what do we think? And I've heard other people throw this out. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury to Washington. Yeah, it's it absolutely makes sense. Uh, Chicago... Uh, clearly is, is not going to be a, a factor, uh, uh, of, of much significance. They should be looking to move veterans. You got a guy on expiring deal, uh, absolutely would make sense to move him. And, uh, there are contending teams in this league that could use, uh, goaltending help, which is not always the case. Um, but certainly, uh, I think Washington would be right at the top of that list because neither of their guys has been, uh, especially good. And uh, they are a team that otherwise seems like they've got all the pieces to to make a cup run. So I get that there'd be, you know, some some irony there given the history with with Pittsburgh and Washington, but um, you know, Mark Andre Fleury is going to get to pick his destination, but I, I can't imagine he would have a, a big problem with going and uh uh watching Alexander Ovechkin chase another cup. It it makes a lot of sense. My, I'm still I'm still hoping that he goes to Colorado because I want to see Colorado Vegas in the conference final with Marc-Andre Fleury in goal against the Knights. Um, that's my dream scenario. 
but this one would be pretty good too. Uh, and I love the word, Billy used the word delicious in that, uh, in that voicemail. Solid. Let, yep, so, solid so, word. And especially, you know, we have to say also, if this happens, then the hockey gods have got to give us Pittsburgh, Washington. You, 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 you can't, right. uh, you okay. can't tease us on that. You've, you've absolutely got to give us those two teams in the first round. Okay. So you, but you're saying you would find it more delicious to see yes. Marc-Andre Fleury play against Vegas then the My delicious meter is higher for, for Vegas him going than to Colorado. The the revenge game against the team that traded him. Just because I mean, you know, the history with Pittsburgh is obviously huge, but that's a few years ago. And the Vegas, you know, the sword in the back and all of that other stuff. That's that's what I'm looking for. Okay, but what if it's Edmonton Vegas, and it's round one? Yep. Is that still more delicious than that's all right? Pittsburgh Washington. That's for you. That's uh, I you know I that's up there. That's at the same tier to me. Colorado Vegas, even though. You know, they haven't met that many times. That's the rivalry. Those are the two most loaded teams and, you know, and, and all of that. But yeah, put them in Edmonton. That'd be okay, too. I'd take that. Okay. We got another voicemail. And this one comes in from Matt from Missouri. As uh, uh, Matt from Missouri has got a question for us. Let's uh, let's hear what he says. I'm out here on a warm, somewhat warm, sunny day playing basketball. And I was thinking to myself about contracts in the NHL. And I was wondering if... On an episode sometime, you could go over who has the best value on their current contract around the league, a few guys who you think that team is being most bang for their buck, production-wise and money-wise, obviously excluding entry-level deals. And so, not sure if you've been over this before, but if you don't mind talking about that sometime, I'd really appreciate hearing what you have to say. Okay, that's some A-level trolling from Matt, by the way. He's like, I'm just yeah. outside playing basketball. He knows damn well Thanks, Matt. we're in Ontario where it's minus three. 30 and we're locked in here yep That's, we're buried under yeah. four feet of snow outside but good yeah i'm glad you're glad you're working on your jumper I'm yeah really happy his, to hear his, that his sky hook and his jumper all that stuff all right but his question is uh looking for bang for your buck contracts in the nhl like who's providing some value here so uh what do you got what do we got for him well i mean yeah this, this is something that comes up from time to time and the, first of all the to state the obvious, the the best bang for the buck in the nhl is always entry-level deals yeah if, if you can get anyone who can contribute at any sort of high level uh, on an on an entry level deal? Then th- that cannot be topped, even if they hit all their bonuses, even if things roll over. Uh, that's that's as good as it gets. Beyond that, uh, yeah, there's always some guys who have uh, uh, good value deals, and I like how he puts it. You know, he's talking about the value. We always talk about these as good contracts, which is weird, right? Because we we just automatically kind of take the team side and say, oh, this guy makes doesn't make enough money. It's a good contract. I'm sure he and his agent maybe don't feel like it's a good contract, but the the guy that always comes up first and foremost is Nathan McKinnon um, at, you know, six and change uh, for this year and next year. Still absolutely ludicrous value for a guy who's, you know, MVP absolutely in that best player in the entire world, not named Connor McDavid conversation. Um, It's, it's just an extraordinary value for Colorado and a big part of why they've been able to put such a great team around him. Uh, the guys in Boston, really that whole top line, uh, or, or former top line, uh, but it's especially David Pasternak and Brad Marchand, as much as it, it kills me to say, he has really developed into an elite, the best, or maybe second best left winger in the entire league. And, you know, they're getting him for six and a bit. Um, uh, you know, he'd be double, double digits on the open market. So, uh, I think those are the ones. And then the two guys in Florida as well, uh, Herbidu and, uh, uh, Barkov, both sub six, 
um, not for much longer. Uh, and the extension already signed for Barkov. But th- those are the guys that really jumped to mind as just being incredible value and uh, uh, guys that were just signed at the right time. Uh, their their teams uh, rolled the dice and and uh, and they won. Uh, and it's uh, it's a huge part of sometimes having that luck and that timing in the NHL is a big part of building a successful team. And it's it's no surprise that those teams we just mentioned are all uh, really good teams. So I also looked up cap like cap friendly's got a great tool, and it's called cost per point, which is basically mm-hmm. uh, it, it 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 looks at the your your cap hit. Your, your your salary and your production value and then it, it spits out your you know your dollars per minute your dollars per point your dollars per goal all that stuff so I'm gonna read you a couple of names that uh, are on that list and and okay. the guy that's at the top of the list is Florida Panthers forward Carter Verhage and Verhage yes. got 34 points yep. this season uh, for a cap hit of a million dollars so in terms of yep. like good value on like a non-star non-entry level deal. Verhage's number one. You know who's number two? And this this will be interesting to see because when the Carolina Hurricanes signed him, there was a lot of conjecture, a lot of conversation mm, around yep. him. Tony D'Angelo. Yep. Tony D'Angelo That's... at a million bucks is basically performing as a point per game guy. And yep. that's and, the value. And we knew right? that's that's you know, yeah, that's the value. And that's uh, for all the uh the, the negativity around that uh, that signing that's what carolina was going for is that you have an opportunity to get a guy on a cheap deal because of he's got to prove it and he's got to show the league that he's still interested in in being a, a productive uh, player in the nhl and it in terms of on the ice it's paid off for them and it's you know it's the same sort of thinking that's going to land evander kane in probably in edmonton very soon um yeah and they'll be hoping it works out the same way and if it does he'll probably be high up on that list as well and and by the way too the st louis blues are getting some pretty good value from a couple of players as well uh, again using the cap friendly uh tool ivan barbashev is a 2.25 million dollar cap hit he's produced 34 points in 41 games this year so barbashev is having a sneaky good year maybe kind of under the radar and jordan Cairo as um, mm-hmm. as a guy under three million dollars is a point per game guy so those are some of the 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 names that kind of come out uh, and obviously nazim kadri too is having a huge year when yep. you when you rate his his uh his numbers against it so those are some of the you know you bounce around the league and again i would say go to cap, cap friendly and uh, in between your basketball games there uh and uh and you know, and and check it out, Matt, and and you'll lo- you'll love it. There's some some great kind of under the radar guys uh, that you can find there as well. All right, we're gonna wrap up the show with a little this week in hockey history, and uh, we're talking Iron Man earlier in the show with uh, Keith Yandel, Phil Kessel, Doug Jarvis. This week in hockey history, we're gonna wrap up the show by talking about Glenn Hall. This is one of the all time great records. This week in hockey history, Sean. Uh, Glenn Hall tied, and then later would uh, later that week would pass George Vesna by playing in his 328th consecutive game. He would go on to play another 174. Glenn Hall played 502 straight games to set the yep. all-time record. Like we know that we'll never see that record again. So, but it got me thinking. Like if we're moving forward here, like what's the new Iron Man record we should? expect from a goal like do you think that we will ever see another goalie play i'm just going to throw the number 50 games out will an nhl goalie ever play 50 games in a row and if the answer is no 
what's the number? What's the threshold yeah. that you think we'll get to? I mean, it's it's fascinating, right? Because it's this uh, the modern thinking with back to backs would almost disqualify that uh, unless you get into injury situations or, or what have you. So unless that thinking changes, we won't even get that high. Um, unless we count the playoffs. Now, if we roll this into the playoffs, because you know, then you get a lot of goalies do start every game regardless of scheduling and uh that you don't have as many of the back-to-backs but i mean the the you talk about the 502 being untouchable even do you remember grant fear back in 96 when mike keenan just says i'm just gonna start him every game i'm just not gonna use my i'll use my backup as a backup he'll be the relief guy who comes in if it's if the game's not going well but i'm never gonna start him and and grant fear made it almost all the way through the season before he he had to miss a start um we'll never even see that again um, yeah, you're I mean, I would say maybe 30 might be, uh, I, I could see maybe 20 with weird scheduling and, uh, you know, some team that's got one clear starter and the backups out or whatever it is, but, uh, you know, it might be interesting. And I don't think this information has ever been tracked. I, I wonder what the goalie record for Ironman would be just for being dressed for games. Like how many Ooh. goalies dress for all 82 in a season and, and what's the streak there where it's, you know, no, no injuries, no nights off in the press box. You either play or you're at least sitting on the bench in your ball cap. I wonder what that would get to. That would be a, an interesting one to see because because that's you know how it works for for the skaters, right? The, the you know the skaters we don't we they don't have to play twenty minutes a night yeah. to count. They just have to be in the lineup. So I don't know. Hank Lundquist would be the guy that comes to mind for me because mm-hmm. there was probably a pretty good run there where he if he wasn't playing he was backing up, right? Like he and he wasn't yeah. really a guy that got hurt. All that often, maybe Mika Kiprasov in his in his kind of a big run in Calgary is a, is, a, is another one. But yeah, boy, that it would that, have to be like a, yeah, it's yeah, but but nobody's you know Vasilevsky is another guy. You know, he's kind of the old school guy of like the complete one A. Your backup is just whatever cheap scrub you can pick up off the uh, off the scrap heap. But you know, even him, and and that's part of the thing with Yandel and Kessel and these guys in in the COVID times to not miss a game is, is really impressive because, and, and also some good luck involved, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if there'd be any way to find that out. I don't think there is. Get that intern on the horn, get the down goes Brown yeah. intern. This is your first job. That's right. You might have to actually review the film. Cause I don't, you know, as, as someone who spends a lot of time digging through stats, they typically don't even uh, necessarily note, the, you, the backup goaltender. Yeah. Stat, so I don't know. We have to dig into that. You know what? That's a good point. I think NHL.com, some, well, no, you know what it is? The official game sheets and the NHL game notes, they will say, I think for goalies, it'll say, I think it'll say DNP for them. And that means that they dress but didn't play, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you would right. have to go through. So there you go. Yeah. That's the first intern assignment. You're going to have to go through every game sheet, <laughs> from two- keep track, and then report back. Yeah, report back to us next week. All right. Hey, listen, this was a lot of fun. The hour and change flew by. Uh, thanks for doing this, and we'll get you again next uh, next Thursday. Sounds good. All righty. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Like I said, we'll get you again next week. You can always uh, leave us a voicemail. We love those uh, two phone calls that we got uh, this week. Uh, from from Billy and Matt. So if you uh, want to drop us a voicemail, you can certainly do that at 845-445-8459 or email us any question you have. To the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. If you're not a subscriber, you can join us 
at theathletic.com slash hockey show. You'll get an annual subscription for just $3.99 a month. And you can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You'll get all of our bonus content from our entire network. You start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just $0.99 cents a month. Goodbye.